Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there sh- should be a hard back black one uh, on the floor somewhere near you. And this morning's passage will be on the screen. Also be on page 1028. Uh, it is a joy um, to be back here. Uh, took a couple of weeks off to be with my family. Really more like a week, but I missed two Sundays. And uh, it is uh, pure joy to be back with you and uh, kind of have a little confession to make. I um, had some other things planned that I wanted to say kind of as we're going to open up the, the book of Revelation, but there are times when the news intrudes, and uh, yesterday was one of those days, and uh, there's nothing short of chaos that exists inside of our world. There's nothing short of racial bigotry and hatred um, that splashes into our world consistently. And um, I just want to stay in the strongest possible terms. Um, This never goes without saying that we condemn all forms of racism, all forms of terrorism, Our hearts and our prayers are with people in Charlottesville. Um, If you happen to be out of the news cycle, uh, there was a a protest that was happening with some white uh, racist, you know, people that were uh, really protesting the removal of a statue of Robert E. Lee. Um, And then inside that city of Charlottesville, which I have personal friends, uh, the churches and people that were um, kind of just standing up against racism were there to show a, a display of unity and support. And one of the protesters uh, drove a car uh, full speed. I saw the video, uh, killing one lady, injuring 19 others. Um, and I had really wrestled with the the book of Revelation just in general because I've been in it uh, for the last couple months and. Um, God's been doing such a wonderful, beautiful thing among us and building joy into our hearts. And I, I said, I, I was wrestling, God, how, how can this book bring us joy? And then yesterday happened, and it was as if God was confirming to me that um, the, the title of the series is The Beauty of Hope for the Chaos of Our World. Like, that was planned um, well in advance of yesterday. And um, We just have to understand the world that we live in. We have to understand the chaos that exists. But we also have to understand, um, not because yesterday kind of sets the world on a course where there's some countdown clock for the end of the world because of what yesterday happens, but because of what's portrayed in the book of Revelation, as we're going to look at over the next couple of months, you're going to see that the evil that exists inside of men's hearts um, and the structures that men create, um, they're, they're both captive to real religious spiritual powers, right? And so they're real, and uh, if you ask our friends from China, those things are real. Um, and we, as Americans, we do live in a, a little bit of a privileged uh, posture where we can kind of ignore those things, Um, but all you have to do is to pop into social media that's really meant to be an escape, and you're going to run into the chaos. Um, 
Social media doesn't create the chaos, but it reveals it going all around. So the question for us, and I was reading a book on vacation called Strange Things, uh, and the author Mark Sayers says this, and I think it's a good question for us as we start our study of the book of Revelation. How do we view this pivotal moment in global history? How do we view it through biblical lenses? The church is called to be an embassy of the kingdom. To be salt and light, a vision of a spirit-filled alternative. Believers are humans, and humans are social creatures profoundly influenced and molded by the culture around us. Fear, worry, and anxiety are socially infectious. Scripture tells us that we are not to be people of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. So how... Can we be light on a hill as darkness seems to fall? What is it to live a life in the Spirit in a moment of anxiety, upheaval, and extremes? Right? That's the reason that we're looking at the book of Revelation. Not only to understand the reality of the chaos that exists all around us, whether we tend to bury our head in the sand or not, that chaos is real. But more than that, we need a picture of something better, something lasting, so that we can be a picture of hope to the world. And that something better is Jesus. Jesus is the main subject of the book of Revelation. So the next several months is going to be a rich feast for us as we look at Jesus. So if you have your Bibles open, would you stand with me? As we read Revelation chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 8. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the rulers of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we so want now to allow that vision to eclipse the vision of chaos that exists in our own hearts, not just because of the news that's in the world, but because of the news that we believe about ourselves so often. I pray that the hero of the book of Revelation, the vision of Jesus Christ, would come to bear on your people um, and that we would be... uh, just agents of hope to this world to do that. We need your spirit. We can't do this through a mere intellectual exercise, but we do need our minds to understand and our hearts to believe. Empower us by your spirit so that we can live out and obey the truth of this book. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So just over the next couple of minutes, I just want to kind of give us a basic framework for understanding the book of Revelation that you can get from the first eight verses here. Normally this is a a book that causes a lot of anxiety and fear. And what you're going to learn from the first few verses of this book, uh, it's actually designed to do exactly the opposite. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word revelation literally means unveiling. That's where we get the title of our series. It's the removal of mystery, right? It's to remove um, confusion. It's to remove doubt. It's to remove worry. And it's to unveil a very necessary picture of Jesus that we have um, as individuals, right? As I was praying for this series, this is uh, an essential picture of Jesus without which we as his people would not be able to function on this planet. So this is an important book. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which brings me to my first point. Jesus stands at the center of the book of Revelation, and he is the key to understanding it, right? So if we make this about uh, a lot of other things, trying to figure out what the number 666 means, whether you should use your debit cards or trying to construct some kind of timeline for the end of the world, we're going to lose our way very quickly. This is a book about seeing Jesus, and so there are going to be times, and there's been times when I've been studying this, I'm like, what in the world? world does all of this mean? And then I go back to chapter 1. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And if you look at verse 4, it's meant to bring us grace and peace, right? It's an unveiling of Jesus that is meant to bring us grace and peace. And um, part of the reason this book sometimes can be so controversial and so fear-inducing is People try to dissect like individual parts of the book of Revelation without understanding the purpose of the whole. The purpose is Jesus. Uh, Vern Poitras, uh, he is a professor at Westminster Theological Seminary, and he says this. He says, if Revelation is clear, why do so many people have trouble with it? And why is it so controversial? Well, we have trouble because we approach it from the wrong end. Suppose I start asking, what do the bear's feet in Revelation 13, 2 stand for? If I start with such a detail and ignore the big picture, I'm asking for trouble. God is at the center of Revelation. We must start with him. If instead we try to puzzle out details, as if it's, it is as if we tried to use a knife by grasping it by its blade instead of the handle. We are starting at the wrong end. Revelation is a picture book, and the picture that it reveals is Jesus, not a puzzle book. Don't try to puzzle it out. Don't become preoccupied with isolated details. Rather, become engrossed in the overall story. That's what we're going to do. Praise the Lord. Cheer for the saints. Detest the beast. Long for the final victory. So this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is his book. Uh, Actually, if you look at verse 1, this is, it says that Jesus is the author of the book of Revelation, right? So a lot of people say Jesus never wrote a book. Well, this is his book. This is the vision that God the Father gave to him that he showed to his servant John through an angel. This book is the book by Jesus, and this is the book that is about Jesus. So let's keep him 
front and center. And it's written to a group of people very much in a world of chaos, very much like our own. A world that's undergoing political uncertainty, racial and spiritual hatred, sexual confusion, and social upheaval. That is the backdrop of the book of Revelation. And this unveiling of Jesus is meant to bring us grace and peace. It's meant to bring us peace despite the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Jesus wanted his people who were undergoing intense persecution to know that he saw them, that he was actually working history towards an appointed end. The center of the book of Revelation is the throne that comes into view in chapters 4 and chapter 5. That despite all of the chaos that exists in the world, despite the chaos that exists in Charlottesville right now, that there is one that's seated on the throne who is ruling and reigning in history. And that's very important for us as the people of God to know, right, despite all of the anxiety that we tend to feel, that there is one that has risen above Um, all of the anxiety and all the worry and all the fear because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He is seated on the throne. So look at verse 4. The effect of this book is to be grace and peace. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his thrones, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So this book, at its core, is meant to bring us peace. Right? It's meant to alleviate fears, not create them. It's meant to bring us into the reality that despite what we see, we are always and forever the recipients of the unmerited favor and blessing of God. And that doesn't mean that we get to roll up in a new beamer, but that does mean that we have the favor of God that rests on us. It does mean that he's going to meet us when life crashes in and crushes us. It means that we as his people can experience his grace and his peace. So, whether it's the chaos that exists in the world or it's the chaos that exists in your own hearts, where do you need peace this morning? This picture of Jesus is meant to speak to that circumstance and bring peace. Grace to you and peace from God through Jesus Christ. Which brings me to my next point. This is written to the church. Revelation reveals Jesus' passion for his bride. Look at verses 4 through 6. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom Priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Before we get into a lot of the large-scale details of this book, you have to remember this, this is a letter written to a church or to several churches. It's a letter with some apocalyptic visions kind of encapsulated in it. But it didn't come with like this instruction book, right? It was meant to be read out loud. There were older believers. There were younger believers. There were children in the room. 
And they were expected by the Spirit. Now, they were a little bit more familiar with this kind of writing than we are. But it was meant, when it was meant to be read out loud, they were meant to understand it, right? So when we begin to look at this book in its context, it has to mean something to the original hearers, right? Um, if you make this about, you know, what's finally going to happen at the end of the world, this does have some things to say about the final chapter in human history. But first, it was written to a group of believers in the first century, right, who John, who was suffering for his faith, was on the island of Patmos, which is just off the, cur- uh, the coast of Turkey, Like, it was written to bring them comfort and peace. Like, it was meant to be read out loud. And I promise you, like, if you read Revelation from cover to cover in the first century, and you asked them who the beast was, they had no question who the beast was, right? It was very obvious to them. So it has to mean something to them, but then, right, it needs to mean something to us. Because it says in verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. That means all of his people for all time. So there's part of it that means something to the first century. There's part of it that means something to us today, and that's how we're going to interpret it. And then there's going to be sections of this that kind of deal with the final chapter in mankind's history, and we're going to look at some of those things as well. But where we get into error is when people want to make this all about something that happened in the past, or all about this that makes uh, something that's going to happen in the future. Actually, the book of Revelation has something to say to us that's very vital for us as we live out the chaos of this world. This, uh, this book is kind of like an engagement period. We're described as the bride of Christ. He loved us. He gave himself for us. He pledged himself to us with his very own blood. Now, I remember being engaged to my wife, who's on the front row, and I remember that was the absolute longest period in the history of my life. It was the only time in my life that I actively prayed for Jesus not to return, right? I, I'm, a, I'm a guy that loves Jesus, and I, I want to be with him. And, and as a single man, there were times where I said, Jesus, could you just come back, you know? And then I got engaged to my wife, and I said, if you could just hold off till April, that would be awesome, right? Um, so, but during our engagement, mercifully, I traveled a lot. I had a job. I was working for the government. had to travel a lot. And um, I'm going to try to explain this for those of you that are younger. Um, there was a time before there were iPhones. Um, and you actually, there was these things called cameras. And they had film inside of them. And um, not even flashcards, like they're actual film. And you had to take them uh, to a photo developing place. And a lot of those, if you paid extra, they could do it in an hour. Um, and my wife uh, had a series of photos made of herself uh, to give to me. And so I remember when I was traveling, I, a lot of it was international. I would take those photos and I would pull them out every night, especially when I would call her on the phone. Uh, and we had another thing called a calling card um, that you used internationally before cell phones. It's amazing. It's like I feel like I'm ancient at this point. Um, but that's, that's the period that we lived in. And I, w- I remember pulling out these pictures of her every night and saying, the day's coming. The day's coming. January 22nd is coming. We're going to be there. It's going to, it's going to be beautiful. And, it, and as, as I looked at these pictures, it didn't just get me through. It built anticipation for the day, right? 
That's what the book of Revelation is supposed to do. We get these pictures and these snapshots of Jesus and we get these pictures and snapshots of his passion and his love for the church and it's supposed to create inside of us, right, this longing to be with Jesus, this longing for his return, that he would come back. So these are snapshots that are meant to um, create a, a level of anticipation for us. Listen to how he describes his bride in these verses. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom and priest to his God to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So who are we as his bride? We are loved. I never will grow tired of telling us that we are the loved people of God. We are loved and valuable in the sight of God, despite all the chaos that exists inside of our lives and our hearts. Scotty Smith, in his book, um, Unveiled Hope, says this. He says, no people are more loved right now than the church of Jesus Christ. Grace abounds to you and me because our divine bridegroom has triumphed over sin and death. That's worth shouting about, by the way. We are clothed in his righteousness and are completely forgiven of all of our sins, past, present, and future. We can do nothing to cause Jesus to love us more than he already does, and we can do nothing to cause him to love us less. We are the perfectly loved wife of the Lamb. So, the book of Revelation. Yes, there are some dark things, and there's going to be some things that we need to understand, but primarily, we are those that are loved by God. Fellowship Jonesboro, you are the forever loved, forgiven people of God. Also, it says that he has freed us from our sins. I think we tend to underestimate the power that we have through the Holy Spirit, right? Um, this means that we are free from the, the penalty of our sins, that that doesn't dictate what our future is going to be before God one day, but also that He's progressively, as we look at Jesus, and as we see him, and we see his passion for his bride, and we see his love for us, it's going to progressively free us from our sins, right? So we're going to see throughout this book that this is about Jesus freeing us. And then I, I love how both his love and his freedom, what does it do? It makes us a kingdom priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion. So we get to become a kingdom of priests because we have been loved and we have been freed. We get to be, um, as my wife shared with me yesterday, we get to be carriers of his presence. We get to be bringers of good news to the world. We get to be those group of people that gather under the rule and the reign of Jesus and we get to show the world just how beautiful our king is. And we get to be priests, which means we get to be ministers. Like, that's who the church is, right? This isn't just about having uh, an insider club where we just kind of hoard the love of Jesus for ourselves. No, we get to dispense that to the world. We become a kingdom of priests. But the reality is, for those that are in the first century and those of us here today, that... The world is in chaos, and you would think that bringing this kind of good news would uh, be met with a better reception. But the reality is there's going to be things that we say and do that are going to kind of put us into conflict with some things that are going on inside of the world. Um, I have a confession to make. I uh, am a Kevin Costner fan, 
right? I think there's probably a website for that somewhere. Uh, Kevin Costner. I, I don't know why. I like, I like almost everything he's in. I'm not seeing all of his movies. But I even like the one that he's in in the early 1990s uh, where he's Robin Hood. So, I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and confess that. It's good for the soul. Kevin Costner, right? One of my favorite movie guys. Uh, there's an obscure movie that he was in probably 2006 called The Guardian. Anybody familiar with that? Ashton Kutcher, all right? The guys are kind of nodding along. They may have seen that. Like, this was not a great film, right? Um, not going to lie. Siskel and Ebert would not approve. But here we are. And as I was reading this passage and thinking about the chaos that exists in our world, there's this period uh, Kevin Costner is uh, working for the Coast Guard. He is... A, uh, a rescue swim instructor. So he's training 18 to 22-year-old young men how to um, kind of rescue people from the sea. Uh, he, he talks about people that are going to be shipwrecked and they're looking for a lifeline and they're looking for hope. And he said, this is the, the rescue swimmer's motto and I think it applies to the book of Revelation. He, says, he said, the only difference between a rescue swimmer and his victim is the way that they enter the water, Right? the way that they enter the chaos of the sea, right? So as we look at the book of Revelation, we are, whether we want to believe it or not, we are living in a world that is full of chaos, and the only difference is how do we enter into that chaos? Mark Sayers in his book, Strange Days, says this, with our heavenly viewpoint, we can become interpreters of the age, godly guides, merchants of holy hope, Our age is an age of clashing stories. Do not underestimate the power of the story you carry within your heart. The gospel that drips with goodness. For when a community of people called by Christ, living as the church, come together, something wonderful happens. So we're to be interpreters in the midst of the chaos. So over the the next couple of months, it's going to be very important for us to have a a greater vision of what it means to be the church. Which brings me to my final point. I'm going to go ahead and have the band come up and join me. There's a particular blessing. Our final point is Jesus is coming back. He will swallow up all of our he will swallow up all of our enemies with his victory. This book is about the certainty of of his return. I'm going to begin just to read. It says there are, is a blessing. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So Revelation reveals Jesus' victory over all of our enemies. So there's a day that's coming when your doubts will be swallowed up in victory. There's a day coming when your fears, your worries, your shame, your guilt, death will be swallowed up. Racism will be swallowed up. There will be this pan-national, multi-ethnic bride that is united around the beauty and the majesty of Jesus. So I want to just read out loud some portions of the book of Revelation to help inform the certainty of his victory and allow us to... um, Enter into the blessing of hearing this book read out loud. Listen to the description of our Savior and our certain victory. Revelation 1. You can close your eyes. You can meditate. You can do whatever serves you. 
Revelation 1.5 Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Verse 13 In the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest, the hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last in the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death in Hades. Chapter 5. And when he had taken the scroll, the four and living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voices of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Chapter 11. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever. Chapter 10, chapter 12, verse 10. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony the accuser of the brethren silenced forever chapter 19 then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude and if you place your faith in Jesus you're in this multitude like the roar of many waters, like the sound of many peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Chapter 21. 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Chapter 22. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with us all.